Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his genes from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week 11 of the Big East Barroom, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout to get $20 off your first order. I'm your co-host, Tyler Cassidy, joined by Ryan, and we just saw some low-level hoops, Ryan. How come you get your last name in the intro, but I don't get my last name? It's called inferred, and it's implied. Because if I'm Tyler Cassidy, I'm joined by my brother, Ryan. We it's came from a your co-host, Ryan Patrick Cassidy, and your other co-host, T. If you would give the listeners your social security number just to ensure that they got all of that down, I think it would be a good start. All right, guys, get your pens out. That's going to be one, two, three. <laughs> it would have been a real um, chess move if you gave them my social security number. <laughs> Right. How are you? I mean, we just came from, we went to go see St. Thomas More basketball. Yeah. How are you? We just spent three hours together, drove home, jumped on uh, the podcast. Um, Nothing much has changed since my drive home. Well, you didn't ask me about my Philly trip. That's true. I didn't, I didn't want to know. Well, boys and girls, it was a good time. And Ryan, I will talk about the arena for one second. The drunkest arena I've ever been to in my life. The BAC at Wells Fargo Center must have been out of control. Me and Tommy Godin, plug, standing there with our father. Guy just passes out right in front of us, just and lays on the ground for several minutes. Hope he's okay if he's listening. Um, but everybody was fall down drunk. So it was actually a really, really good environment for an NBA arena. That's amazing. I have two immediate thoughts. One, um, sounds like Philly sports fans. Mm-hmm. But two, when me and Sarah went there last year to catch the Providence game, it was not like that at all. So I'm a little jealous. Uh, eight o'clock on a Saturday. I think people were liquored up. I think some people did the um double header. The Flyers played earlier in the day in the same arena, and I think some people might have done double header. Um, I don't know. It was a really, really good environment. Um, and you don't always get that in NBA arena. We've been blessed to get that at um Wells Fargo and at Pfizer. Yeah, absolutely. Pfizer can't say enough about. Tyler, we decided for our order for Big East teams this week, we are going to go in reverse length of coaching tenure because that brings us right into one of the most interesting topics of the week. So we are going to talk about DePaul Blue Demons, who have a coaching tenure of a couple hours early in the day today. Tony Stubblefield was let go or DePaul parted ways with him. This is coming on the heels of a 62 to 100 loss to Providence and a 60 to 74 loss against Butler. Rye, I don't think you want to waste any time talking about the product on the court. I think everything goes to the coaching search, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, neither of us are going to sit here and say that is the wrong move, correct? Correct. Not that I really cared if they happens now or at the end of the season. The most important thing is that they didn't trot him out for another season. Um, but I think they wanted to get ahead of some other high major teams that will also be looking for coaches, get their interviews started early. I don't hate it. It's aggressive. Uh, uh, Wayne Peavy, the AD over there, uh, you know, he seems committed to turning this around. I read the article that they released and it said right on there, they said, we'd like to thank Tony Stubblefield. We did not hit the goals we were, uh, you know, that we wanted to. I think that is very nice of um, DePaul to say it that way. I, I'm a little surprised if their job is and their goal is to start the coaching process, um, hiring process before other teams. Kind of similar vibes to what Georgetown just did, right? Except they had a coach while they were doing it. Um, you're starting a you're starting a head coaching search with somebody who's probably has a job, wherever they are. It, it's an interesting vibe that they're just fully admitting to doing. Are we suggesting DePaul becomes the new villain of the Big East? That would be the heel. They'd go from the lovable loser to the heel, right? I mean, I think that obviously DePaul has to shoot for the moon here and they go for whoever they can, you know, a bigger hire. But 
it the attractiveness of that job right now is at an all-time low. Georgetown was still a brand. DePaul never has been a brand. Curly said, I don't know if you saw this, Curly said that they are going to make offers with more financial backing than you might expect. And I assume he has somebody in the DePaul front office that um, that's kind of the information they're pushing out right now. So I don't know what they can put together. DePaul is the largest Catholic university in America. If they decided to invest in their basketball team, they certainly could be competitive. Um, yes, they're not generating revenue right now, but you know, the university has the ability. What's their NIL situation? A coach isn't going to want to go there if he can't recruit. So if they don't, they need to change their NIL situation. Um, they need to show that investment into the men's basketball program. I I mean, we had talked about this last week. I think if, you know, the AD gets this one wrong, he's the next one on the chopping block because, you know what, you get the stub if you want wrong one, whatever, you know, it happens. You get this one wrong. I don't know if you have the opportunity to make another bad coaching hire. So this has to be a home run, in my opinion. I'm not sure PV hired Stonefield. I'd like a fact check on that. But I do agree with you. And um, one person said there's about a million things wrong with the DePaul situation. But the easiest one to fix today is uh, the coach. So right. What they fixed. Right. Let's make you look like a genius. You get to pick a head coach of DePaul starting today. Who are you picking? I mean, Chris Mack, I think, is the, like, you know, if you had your dream scenario, it's Chris Mack. I think he's the best coach without a job right now. But, you know, there's a lot of, um, like, Will Wade is is getting kicked around. Josh Schertz is getting kicked around. Uh, I don't think DeVries is interested in this one. That's the feller from Drake, yep. um, which is somewhat local to the area. A really good mid-major coach would do the job also. I mean, that's that was the Dan Hurley formula. Well, there's another Hurley that could be interested in this situation. And, hey, listen – Dan Hurley, you go to the big, you know, Val um, Ackerman and you say, I think that he could turn this program around. I don't know. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you didn't give me a name, by the way. I want you to look like a genius. And in six months, it looks good. I'll go shirts because I think they're going to have to settle for a mid-major coach. And Okay. I'll go Will Wade just because I think that's the most likely. All right. The next team with the shortest tenure for a coach by a couple days would be your Providence Friars. What happened to their coach? We'll get to that. But we'll put three minutes on the clock, and let's talk about Providence's week that was. Yeah, Providence played one game this weekend. I think that this ended up leading to Stubblefield getting fired because they put up 100 points on DePaul at home or in Chicago. I mean, when you put up 100 points and you're an offense that's struggling, I think that Kim English – weirdly enough, made himself second on this list where he would have been first a week, uh, a few days ago. Yeah, DePaul is a get-right of all get-right games right now. I mean, they're worse than a mid-major. They're a low-major. You can tell because Providence just scored 100 points on them. That's something you see in the first week of college basketball, not at this point in the year. So no major takeaways for me. Rich Barron was really good. He won freshman of the week for Providence. He's a Chicago kid. I think they gave him a little extra run. Because apparently he had like four rows of um of ah those fans. were those were the four rows of fans that I saw. I think they were louder than the the Paul fans. Those four rows, but uh, freshman of the week, twelve points on four or five shooting, sixteen minutes, his career high. That's good to see. Um, yeah, Rafael Castro had a nice game in that game. He got extended run because, of, again, they're going to play their bench a lot against DePaul. I don't know. No major takeaways from that game. Ty, what is uh? I mean, it's still not a good situation to be in for the Friars. Yeah, I mean, the Friars are definitely in a you know a bad situation. But the good news is, right, Wednesday they have a chance to beat Seton Hall or have a chance to play Seton Hall if you know if they can win. And then Saturday, I don't want to say they're a Super Bowl because they still have loftier goals, but that's the Ed Cooley game. Um, and that was that we should have started with that actually. I mean, Ed Cooley returns to Providence on Saturday. It's going to be must-see TV at 1230. Um, the, one of the hottest tickets in town. Right. I, I mean, listen, here's the problem here. If you watch this game at the bar, it's going to be hard to know the intensity that is going on. You are going to need to watch this somewhere with your TV turned up loud because the fans are making the difference. Hopkins, Devin Carter, Jaden Pierre, all, when we saw them on media day, they all gave Ed a big hug. I don't think they hate him. They might want to beat him. They do want to beat him, to be clear. But there's not vitriol. 
The fans are what's going to make this experience, and I think it's a must-get ticket. And again, Kim English has no beef with Ed Cooley. Ed Cooley leaving is the way he got into a high major position, so he's not mad at Ed Cooley. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with you because you're you're forgetting one thing in the Providence fan tool belt, and it is throwing uh, tall boys onto the court, which you will be able to see with your sound off. So I'm not uh, necessarily believing your point there. If Providence loses this game, is that a bigger disappointment than anything else that's happened this season? Uh, is it bigger? No, I think Bryce Hopkins is still the bigger disappointment, but it's salt in the wound, right? It's insult to injury. It's, you know, Bryce Hopkins taking one bad step, fucked up our whole season, and we let Ed Cooley beat us. I, I, I'm going to be fascinated by the spread because Georgetown's playing a lot better too, so I can't wait to watch that game. Can't wait to hammer that spread. And then the next shortest coaching tenure, just by a couple days, you'll never believe it, would be the Georgetown Hoyos. Uh, Patrick Ewing fired, and then, you know, some guy we had never heard of, Mr. Ed Cooley, brought in. Let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about their week. Right, they played one game this week, and what I thought was going to be the game of the week until Saturday happened, Friday night, they lost to X Xavier um, by the score of 91 to 92. Um, this was the Jaden Epps versus Quincy Oliveri show. One of the most high-level offensive games and not anyone that interested in playing defense. Yeah, I didn't get an opportunity to watch this game, so I'm going to leave the floor more open to you. Um, but this was by far their most competitive game of the Big East season. What are you seeing different? Well, they played – it was just a different style of play. Xavier has really um, committed to shooting as much as they can. Xavier took 70 shots in this game, um, and Georgetown took 60 well, – I had it right here a second ago. And uh, Georgetown took 70, and Xavier took 64 shots. People were getting out and running. Um, I mean, the main thing is Jaden Epps is an absolute walking bucket. The dude can shoot from anywhere on the floor. Um he was going ISO a lot of times. They were not closing out the way they needed to on him. Jay Heath went on a crazy run for a little bit by himself. He went on, a, I think, a, he hit three in a row. Listen, they have some great offensive players. It's just about can the defense sustain itself and giving up 92 points to the Xavier team, you know, even though they're pushing the ball, isn't fantastic. They let Xavier shoot 50% from the field. Yeah, 32 made baskets. But that is a good segue right into what we did today which is we went down to St. Thomas More, which is a prep high school in Connecticut, because Kayvon Mulready, Georgetown's four-star recruit, was coming down from Worcester Academy to play a game there. Unfortunately, he did not play in the game, which was quite the disappointment. Um, but it's a reminder. Now, Kayvon Mulready is the second top-rated recruit in all of New England, not just Massachusetts, where he's based out of. He's in all of New England. He's not even Georgetown's top incoming recruit. They got the kid Sorber, and they have another four-star recruit, McKenna, after uh, Mulready. So Ed Cooley's got a lot of talent coming in. Jaden Epps is a sophomore. Assumably, he's not leaving after this year. Dontre Styles a junior. I really like his game. Um, Drew Fielder's gonna, a freshman. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're going to lose some players, but you're going to keep a lot of talent. Ed Cooley's trying to build something here. Um Hey, he kind of had his Dan Hurley quotes after the game. I've been a pretty anti-Ed Cooley post-game person recently because I don't think he's been great. But, he, you know, he had his quotes of, you know, Georgetown, you know, other teams say Georgetown's coming. And he goes, no, we're coming. Like, we're on our, like, we're here. You know, like, we think it. Hey, listen, people made fun of Hurley for that quote for a long time. And then he won a national championship. It'll be used as a soundbite if they win, and it'll be used as a soundbite if they lose. Ed Cooley's though sticking his neck out on the line for his new team. I do think they're coming. I think you're going to see a significant improvement next year. I don't know if they're an NCAA tournament team next year, but I believe there'll be a significant step. And then the year after that is when you need to be in the NCAA tournament. So that's kind of the timeline I'm looking for. They were up big in this game. That is important to note. They were up, you know, double digits at multiple points in this game. So... Uh, would have liked to hold on. No more moral victories in January, as Quincy Oliveri said. Well, they need any kind of victories right now because they have one and it's over to pull. Um, and then hired on the same day, so same length of coaching tenure, 
is going to be your St. John's Johnny's, Tyler's favorite hire of the season, Rick Pitino. So let's put three minutes on the clock. How did they fare, Ty? Rise, St. John's arguably the biggest loser of the week, losing to Seton Hall 65-80 to in one of the more anticipated games of the year. Important to note, Rick Pitino and Jordan Dingle did not travel with the team due to COVID. And then they lost to Marquette 72-73 to at the Garden on a buzzer beater um, missed by uh, Dennis Jenkins. I, I don't know, Ry, which which game, which game team is St. John's? Are they the team that kind of got blown out by Seton Hall, or are they the team that hung with the team that was picked to uh, finish number one in the conference? I mean, it's a great question, right? Because I got up here last week, and I said they've shown the most improvement from the beginning of the season to now, and then they just take such a huge step back where now you're looking at it and saying, did they show improvement or are they inconsistent? Are, are, are they spotty or were they trending in the right direction? Because now it looks like they're not, they weren't trending in the right direction. They had a couple good weeks and now they're going to have a couple bad weeks. That's not an NCAA tournament team um, type behavior. That scene hall game was ugly. They couldn't defend anybody. They were taking bad shots. I mean, Joe I know couldn't get anything going. He got benched down the stretch. There was a, tw- I mean, I get it that the score ends up being 15 points. There was a 28 to 0 run by George, uh, Seton Hall at one point in this game. This I I think what you said about inconsistent versus improvement is accurate only because of the streakiness of this team. Allowing a 28-0 run against Seton Hall, um, allowing a 15-0 run to Marquette in that game, although they did respond right away with a 13-2 run or something like that. Um, I think that they're – I think that Rick has shown flashes with this team and his ability to – get what he can out of them. But, you know, I don't know. How do you want to look at it? If Tyler Kolick doesn't miss four free throws down the stretch of that St. John's game, that game is, you know, a two-possession game. But if Dennis Jenkins hits a shot there, we're talking about St. John's winning at the buzzer. So it's just the fickleness of college basketball and how quickly it can go because we're talking about this could have been a good week for them, a stock-up week if they'd beat Marquette, I think, or stock-even at least to even out the Seton Hall loss. And instead, we're talking about them pretty stocked down. Well, like you said, no moral victories in January, and he didn't hit the shot. Um, I don't know. I think at some point we have to acknowledge that this is a very bad defensive team, and Rick Pitino is a defensive genius and has schemed them into being mediocre at times. But when Rick Pitino wasn't there against Seton Hall, they got exposed repeatedly. They can't run man-to-man. They cannot guard the pick-and-roll. We've seen it from the very beginning of the year to now. Um and I didn't catch much of the Marquette game because I was watching the triple overtime thriller, but I understand Marquette scored a heck of a lot of points on them as well. Uh, yeah, 73. Um, the Marquette offense is continues to be an enigma. Ranked 52nd on um, Ken Palm defensively. Rye, if you are a St. John's fan, for um, some optimism, ranked 258th on lock on Ken Palm. So they're saying that perhaps they have been unlucky in some of their games and not just inconsistent. I don't buy that this is a top 55 defense in the country. I think they're closer to 75th. Well, I just am reading into a math algorithm. You're going to be mad at math? You're going to be mad at math? You can't be mad at math. That's my line. All right. Now, I don't know the exact dating hires on this one. This is going back two years, and there were four dating hires. So we're just going to go in the order I wrote them down. Nobody at me if I'm wrong by two, two days. Him. At him with a social security number, guess, and I'll tell you every number you get right. So the first team uh, that had a coach I hired two years ago was the Seton Hall Pirates. Uh, Let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about Shaheen Holloway. Uh, Maybe we should talk about his team that took a win against St. John's 80-65. to And then probably the game of the year in the Big East, a game that Seton Hall fans will probably – see a little bit differently because of officiating reasons they lose 94 to 97 in triple overtime against the Creighton Blue Jays Ryan I decided to go on a trip to Philadelphia during this and miss the two best games of the Big East probably this season so why don't you um what's the word when you get up there and you give a speech and a a play monologue yeah, why don't you give me a monologue about this game? All right, I got 219 on the clock. Let's see if I got uh, two major takeaways from Seton Hall. The first one, this was the worst officiated game I ever saw on both sides. The number of missed calls was absolutely ridiculous. It got to the point where it was like, 
a makeup call for the makeup call for the makeup call for the like I mean just ridiculous stuff you know Creighton gets away with a five second violation and running around on the inbounds and they saved the game where Alamir Dawes finished the game on that yeah. layup he hit the layup right Kadari didn't get fouled and they called the foul on um Ashworth how do you make that call in that situation I don't Portnoy was in, incensed by it. No, he was right to be incensed. I posted a couple of just like ridiculous missed calls. And um, Alamir does got called for an offensive foul that I hated. Anyhow, it, both sides should have been mad at the refs. Both sides won that game multiple times and the refs took it away. Um, but the other major takeaway was they would have won that game if Kadari Richmond hit his bunnies. And Kadari Richmond's usually really good at hitting his bunnies. I'm not seriously concerned about that. Um, he must have missed about six or seven layups in this game, which you're not going to see him do again. So, I, you know, I think that's a that's a positive takeaway if you're seeing all. You're saying we went to triple overtime and Kadari got the yips and couldn't hit a freaking layup down the stretch. Kadari Richmond's line is one of the, I think, the most fascinating lines of the year. 51 minutes, 8 of 32 shooting, 11 rebounds, 11 assists, 21 points. He gets a triple-double, he plays 51 minutes, and he misses 24 shots. I mean, we're talking about a all-time line there, Russell Westbrook on the Lakers line. Yeah, I'm guessing 24 missed shots is the most missed shots in the Big East season to this point. I don't think anybody can compete with If that. you could bring Primo back, he would figure it out. My guy Primo always did. Um, Listen, I, I mean, I can't give a ton of takeaways on that. I watched the St. John's game pretty close. Um, Yeah, Jaden Bediaku. Uh, I thought played really well against Joel Soriano. I think that's a major takeaway. And, hey, listen, I'm at the point where I know the moral victories, whatever. I've seen Hall so far on the right side of the bubble right now that, you know, they just showed me that they are as good as Creighton. So I don't really, you know what? It's a coin flip game, whatever. You know, throw your hands up, it's done. Also, interesting to note, Seton Hall and the AP today had the most um, votes of a team that did not make it. I know we don't love the AP, but it just shows that the people are starting to watch and pay attention. Despite them losing this game, they are literally right on the cusp of being a ranked team. One, they should have already been ranked. Yes, correct. I'm not giving the AP voters any credit when they're like two weeks late. And two, I agree with your takeaway. Um, this was their first loss since Xavier, and it was in triple overtime against one of the top five teams in the Big East. It's, I, I'm still way stuck up on the Pirates. Yeah, I can't. If you had said at the beginning of the year, what's the line on this game? We would have said Creighton eight and a half. And, you know, it ended up being a three-point game. I mean, this is a, this is a really high-level basketball game. Unfortunate that the officials even have a storyline in it. Yeah, I agree. All right, the second of four teams that made a higher that offseason is going to be your Butler Bulldogs, who bring home the prodigal son, Mr. Thad Matta. Ty, how did Butler do this week? Right. Butler takes a loss at Xavier, 85 to 71. And then they get their get right game against DePaul, 74 to 60. I believe, though, I don't want to rain on Butler's parade. I believe they are the first Big East team to not cover the spread against DePaul. I know that because I took Butler 16 and a half after betting on DePaul all of their games. Um, Listen, they needed a win against Xavier. They're in a really bad way right now. Yeah, I thought that was the final kind of – like we had kind of been looking around like, you know, Butler plays well, but they don't win any games. Butler, you know, and uh, that was the game where you were like, yeah, you needed to win that game. Now, I, I mean, I'm really stocked down on them. They have almost no chance in the NCAA tournament, according to the math. Um, you going to be mad at math? I'm not mad at math. But it's a disappointing situation of being when they have a lot of talent and they had played really well in the non-con. And they had played really well in conference play and taken a lot of teams, you know, deep into the game where it was a close game and uh, just came up short. Uh, are you going to win many games when Jameel Telford and DJ Davis combined to shoot three of 24? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's not a winning formula. They shot 0 of 7 from 3. Rye, I don't want to at all insinuate that this Butler team is as talented as last year's in a negative way. But Butler last year overperformed in the non-con. They had that huge win against Kansas State. Things got so bad at the end of the year that we forget that they were a tournament team coming into the conference play, you know, only a third of the way through the season, but whatever. The feel is way different there. But they have so many upperclassmen that I don't know what the future of Butler looks like. 
I, I felt like this year that they really needed to take a step towards being close to a tournament team. And I don't know if they're going to get there other than just by the eye test. Yeah. I mean, the good news is Brooks is coming back. He's a sophomore. Uh, I believe Jamil Telfort has time. I think he's a junior. But you're right. You're, you're going to lose Posh. You're going to lose DJ. And you're going to lose Thomas. Um, you got Andre. No, Andre Screen, I think, is a senior as well. Um, you got Landon Moore and Finley Bizjack, which have given you, you know, pretty good minutes at times this year. I don't think it's a bad point. Matt has had success in the transfer portal, so we'll see if. Uh... But and I don't mean this again in a mean way. Where's the proof that he had success in the transfer portal? Like I get it, we watch the games and we can't believe Butler's record, right? But Butler's record, you are what your record says you are. I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and be like, you know what, this team is a whole lot different right now. They're still losing games. They're not losing by 30. They're losing by five. Yeah, but are you going to sit here and say Pierre Brooks is an, an accomplishment in the transfer portal? I think Chuck Harris is a really damn good player too. I, I And I really liked Jaden Taylor's game at times last year. I, I mean, I just – I'm not at all – they're a lot more fun to watch. So are we getting to the point where we're saying it reflects on the coach? If we're not questioning the talent and we're not questioning the competition, but they can't win the game at the end of the game, do you question the coach? Yeah, I mean, hey, they're going to give Thad three years. Um, you know, he's done this before. I've seen flashes from him at least, and maybe it's just because he's so damn likable this year too that I kind of am blinded by what Thad's doing. I do think they're significantly better than last year, and I know it's a tough sell with the record. But I know. as you said, we watch the games, and uh, I, I agree. Would, I, I would die on that hill personally. I agree that they are much better. It's just an interesting conversation that another team – performed well in the non-con, not performing well in conference play with a lot of talent. I don't know if they had a lot of talent last year is the problem. So maybe that's another conversation. All right. That, the other, no, the third hire from that offseason was the Xavier Musketeers who said goodbye to Travis Steele. And they said hello again to Mr. Sean Miller, which really quick is is that looking like the best hire of that offseason at this point, Sean Miller or Shaheen Holloway? It's I I think it's Shaheen. Uh, Shaheen had a better year this year. Xavier had a better year last year. I don't know. I mean, Miller took him to the Sweet Sixteen last year. True. I think he had the most. He had a pretty talented team, and he had a lot of uh, steals, guys. That's a fair point. Um, but this week they are also rounding into shape. Two wins. I don't care how they got them. They beat Butler by 14. That's a good win. Beat Jordan. You just can't lose to Georgetown. And the beginning and ends of all conversation for Xavier start with? Quincy Oliver. Quincy Oliver. Yeah, but I want to talk about Desmond Claude because my major takeaway from this week was Desmond Claude is back. Um, he put up like 20-something points against Butler. He was the best player on the floor, in my opinion. He's able to impact the game defensively, and he's finally kind of playing within himself, not taking shots that he can't hit, which is perfect because that's what you want him to do. Don't take fucked up shots. Um, I think when Quincy Oliveri and Desmond Claude are both humming at this level, they're 10-8 now. Yep. I'm not betting against them to make the NCAA tournament. With Sean Miller as a coach, I wouldn't bet against them. Um, you were betting that I said, call me crazy last week. And you said, I'm going to call you crazy. So, um, but Desmond Claude had 45 points this week. I mean, 19 and 26. Um, and I, I think you're right. He's not taking a ton of threes. He shot one of eight from three this week. So he's still not shooting incredibly well from three, but he's not shooting so many that it's, uh, hindering the team. I think Xavier's ability over the last couple of weeks to just get up as many shots as humanly possible and saying, we think we can beat you that way. I think that's been a good method for them because it's just, it's, it's working right now. Um, you know, they're still the fastest tempo in the big East. They've moved up 15 spots on Ken Palm since me and you have um, had that conversation a week ago. So they went from 77 to 62. L listen, their strength of their team are the perimeter players. They know that, but they also rebound the hell out of the ball. And Abu Usman was really good defensively against Butler. Now, Butler's front court isn't the strongest front court you're going to see in the Big East. But I got to give some credit to this kid, Usman, who, you know, just seems like he wants to fight everybody. But he played really nice defense in that game. And I think that's in large part of why Xavier, the metrics, love Xavier defensively. Metrics just love Xavier. They're 25th in the country on Ken Palm. I mean, this is a... 
this is a team that is 10 and eight. I, I I'm, I'm about them. I've been about them. Um, and I think a quick shout out to Davion McKnight, um, where he scores 18 points and was really good in that Georgetown game as well. Um, Quincy Davion and Desmond Claude might be as good of a backcourt as any team in the big East. Yeah. They found their identity. And of course it took a little while to find their identity. They lost, all five starters from last year, one of which they only lost a month before the season started when they botched the surgery on him. And then they lost their sixth man of the year, Jerome Hunter. So listen, Sean Miller's a hell of a coach. I'm not sure there's any I'm not sure there's any better coaches in the Big East than Sean Miller. So he's figuring it out. All right, Ry, we the next one is probably I got a lot of talk about this guy. The worst one from that year, the higher. Yep. And that is the Villanova Wildcats, who yes. lost two games this week. One on Martin Luther King Day. They lost to Marquette, 87-74. And two, they lost 66-65 against UConn. Important to note that Mark Armstrong hit a buzzer beater three from half court as time expired. I'm not saying a four-point game is an insurmountable lead, but it was not a buzzer beater or anything that beat them. They were um, That game had been over for a few seconds. Um, do you want to talk about you just you're just disgusted with Nova? It's the inconsistency because against Marquette, their defense couldn't buy a stop and their offense was incredible. Mark Armstrong went for like 26 points. Um, he was unstoppable and he was hitting shots he had no business hitting. So it wasn't like they were getting, you know, really good looks and, and he was knocking them down. And then against UConn, their defense wasn't that bad, but then their offense can't do anything to save their lives. I personally thought, and maybe, I mean, I'm watching this game from, you know, way up. I thought UConn missed a lot of shots they normally hit. Caravan and Spencer are normally better three-point shooters than the um, one of six, three of 11 that they shot in that game. Um, my frustration is with the scheme. I am extremely frustrated with Neptune and whatever he's doing. Against, when Eric Dixon plays against Ryan Cockburner, he is the best player in the country. Donovan Klingon, a lot of ways, is trying to emulate what Ryan Cockbrenner does defensively. They did not use Dixon as a stretch in any way. Um, and Eric Dixon, in my opinion, has the best post-up game in the Big East. Samson Johnson is an undersized five in terms of weight. Why was he not posting up um, Samson Johnson every time he's in? Samson Johnson started the game. I know Klingon is a difference on a post, you know, whatever. But I wanted to see Dixon attack Samson down low and bring Klingon out of the paint so that they could actually have their offense. You posted a great thread about Donovan Klingon and all the shots he take. Um, you know, why wasn't Eric Dixon bringing him out of the paint, hitting some threes to make Klingon have to go with him? Yeah, I do think it's kind of hard when Donovan Klingon isn't the starter. You know, uh, Hurley's talked about in the past, the two-headed monster, and the way it mixes them up because, you know, your offensive strategy completely changes when Samson Johnson's in versus when Donovan Klingon's in, and that's really hard to – necessarily all be on the same page and when you're in Wells Fargo center and everybody's drunk as hell. Um, so I, I give him a little bit of a pass there of why he didn't target it the same way he targeted the cock better. I think you have a great point about the Samson Johnson matchup where he did not do nearly enough work, uh, you know, just let him go to work and clear out. I mean, I just, so, I, it, it seems like that he believes that these players are um, supposed to fill a role and that he is not willing to, you know, alternate from that role. Tyler Burton to me is not a three point shooting specialist like they have him doing right now. I mean, and when he was at Richmond, you know, he was, he did shoot the three a little bit, but he only shot at 29%. He's sitting there in the corner waiting for the ball. He only scored nine points. I mean, he hit both his threes in this game, whatever they were. Justin Moore bailed them out a few times with some mid range shots um, that absolutely kept them afloat. They scrappy team. They were down eleven nothing in a game where they were playing the number one team in the country. But I, for me, it's all coaching at this point, and I am I'm getting close, Dry. I'm getting close to saying it. You don't have to give Kyle Neptune a full three years. They're gonna. I mean, Villanova is such a classy institution, but they also take basketball very, very seriously, and they they're not gonna like losing a second year especially with the amount of NIL money they spent. And we kind of know how much NIL money they spent. They have like a top five NIL in the country, people. Yeah. Like, think about that. They're not, this is not a Villanova team where they're trying to get, I'm not saying they're not trying to get the right guys, but they thought they were getting the most talented guys and they're losing. Imagine Tyler Burton in an offense that gets up and down the floor, like Xavier. 
he would be the perfect player for Xavier because he would be able to play the four at Xavier and his ability, he'd be able to shoot enough to keep himself on the floor, his ability to run and rebound. He's such a good rebounder. That might be one of the best. Um, You know, when I do that thing where if you could trade a player to another team, that Tyler Burton to um Xavier is in a really, is a really good one. He'd be fun watching in a high pace offense. Um, now moving over and isn't this wild with the release of Tony Stubblefield, the third longest coaching tenure in the big East is Shaka smart. Who's been with the team for two and a half years. Uh, so let's put three minutes on the clock and talk about your Marquette golden Eagles with a bounce back week. Hey, a win is a win. They win 87 to 74 against Nova. And then they win 73 to 72 at St. John's. Um, I don't, it's good to see the Marquette get some wins because in order for the big East um, reputation to be where you wanted at nationally, I think Marquette kind of has to be that second team right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And we're not seeing it from Creighton at this point. So we, if you want the top of the big East to be good, if you want to be looking at second weekend teams, you like seeing Marquette get back on track and boy, howdy. Did they get back on track against Villanova? Boy, Tyler, howdy, did you just say? Boy, howdy. I don't know what the hell that was. Tyler Kolick and Cam Jones and Oso Godaro just shredded that Villanova defense. I mean, like, Villanova didn't look like they knew what they were doing out there. When, and Marquette was doing what they always do, running pick and rolls. And when when they go out and run a pick and roll with Oso Godaro and Tyler Kolick as a first play and get an easy lob slam dunk, there's going to be some questions about your defensive preparation since that's their most common action. Uh, is the Tyler Kolick revenge tour back? 11 assists in both these games, 22 on the week. Um, I believe he had 36 points on the week, 36 and 22 in two games. So that averages out to 18 and 11. Um, he missed, I, I mean, I caught the end of this game. He missed those four free throws against St. John's. I don't know what was going on. Really stunk if you had minus one and a half for Marquette. But it seems like he's back in track and feeling kind of, you know, feeling out the offense. And I feel like through all the injuries and everything that's changed about this team that he kind of needed to remember, you know, what he does best and he's doing it again. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And they they can't get to the levels that they want to be at with Tyler Cole playing the way he was playing previously. So to see him get back there. And I don't think he ever stopped doing what he was doing. He just he wasn't hitting the shots he needed to hit. And he still didn't shoot from three very well in either of these games, I don't believe. Uh, if you could pull no, that. He shot one of three against St. John's, and he shot one of five from three against Don Villanova. Yeah, so two of eight, and he was previously shooting like 40% from three. So Just looks like he's not as confident in that three-point shot as he had been earlier in the year. Kind of um, – he did a – few times he hesitated later in the game because he had missed a few. Um, so, hey, if Marquette is good, it's good for the Big East just because it does that national reputation um, as having a two, three-headed monster. And I think Osoe Godaro could have won player of the week this week. Yeah, Payne Touch has put something good up there that uh, I think I think he had 18 and 19, and he, like, shot 9 of 11 and 8 of 11 or something, something really close to that. So he's like he missed, like, five shots this week. Yeah, he was fantastic against Villanova. They had no answer to him, which is so strange. He's been this good in the Big East for several years, so you would think they would have come up with a plan for it. Well, they're operating without a coach, so it's unfortunate for Villanova. All right. The next longest tenure is our team of the week. That would be the UConn Huskies, Dan Hurley. So we'll skip over them, and we'll go straight to the longest tenure in the Big East, the dean of the Big East, Mr. Greg McDermott. As our final team before uh, th- our quick break. Little loophole, Ed Cooley was um, imp- hired in the Big East. But then I guess Sean Miller and Thad Mata were as well. Yeah, and Rick Pitino. Anyway, uh, Creighton lost to UConn 48-62 uh, to and then beat Seton Hall in the aforementioned 97-94 three-overtime thriller. Um, right. I'm going to swing the same question to you that I did St. John's, which one is Creighton? Are they the team that lost 48 to 62 or are they the team that just beat the team that was number one in the big East 97 to 94? I mean, obviously it's the right question to ask. I think Creighton fans have been a little too dismissive about that UConn game. 
Uh, yes, it was really nice to see them battle against Seton Hall. Yes, it was really nice to see Ryan Kochbrenner go for 28 points and seven blocks. I'm not, you know, exactly forgetting that they were kind of run off the floor against UConn. You know, they were previously, what were they, 6-1, and 5-1 and one against UConn before that game um, since UConn returned to the Big East. Like, let's not pretend like this is normal for them to get run off the floor against UConn. They beat UConn at UConn two years ago. So And three years ago. I, listen, I'm going to talk Creighton fans down, and I'm going to present the opposing argument. Creighton played UConn on whiteout night, on $2 beer night, on the first time that UConn had been ranked number one in the country in 15 years, there was a different energy in that building. Ryan and I were there. Um, that is not to be ex- excused them. UConn bumped them off their spots every single time. It was a physical game. And, you know, Klingon also, it was also the return of Donovan Klingon, you know, Connecticut's one of Connecticut's um, heroes. I, I personally think that Creighton's offense is okay, but. You need Ashworth to be, you know, Ashworth hit that huge bucket in the Seton Hall game. I saw that, you know, teardrop layup and no one's questioning Seton Hall's defense. Seton Hall's defense is pretty tough. At least they have 94 points. Uh, They did did. listen. Creighton hung with Seton Hall and they deserve credit for that. But I don't know if they're a good enough shooting team to play basketball the way they play basketball. I mean, they're shooting several points lower than they did last year when they went to the Elite Eight, and they were supposed to be a better shooting team this year with the new point guard. And actually, I mean, their their forward position is one of the best shooters in the country. So that's not the problem, but they're not shooting at a high enough level where they they, they struggle one-on-one. They struggle getting to the basket except for Ryan Falkrunner. All right, screw it. I'm not going to call any player out by name, Ryan, but I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Is Creighton soft? Say it with your chest if you're going to say it. There are members of the team who are not defined by their toughness. So, right, Creighton, I'll say Creighton's kind of soft. They they play a little bit more of artistic basketball than bully ball. They want to get it, you know, they want to get their, a lot of threes up. Um, if you body them a little bit and push them off their spot, they'll kind of go where you go. Which is fine if they were a top 10 shooting team in the country. They're like top 80. Oh, like, yeah. I, they're not a good enough offensive team. And yes, Ryan Cockbreder defensively saves your fucking ass because now they're the number one defensive team in the Big East with Providence dropping after the loss of Bryce Hopkins. Like, and almost their entire defense is predicated on Ryan Cockbreder. Um, but offensively, like, what? They, how many points they put up against UConn? 48. But they put up, I mean, they put up double that against Seton Hall. I mean, that's they played, the. They played an extra 15 minutes. Sure, you're right, but that still doesn't. The math doesn't equate to. They were clearly playing better against Seton Hall. They did play somewhat better, but I, I, I think know, I have serious questions about them. Here's where I'll say: I think Creighton is poorly equipped to play in the Big East right now with this roster, and they are finally equipped to compete in a tournament because in the tournament, it's Hurley says it all the time. It's just not the same level of physicality that you see in the Big East. Well, so, I agree with that but they're going to have a bad shooting game in the round of 32 and it's all going to be over right there. Steven Ashworth is getting his feet under him and he's going to be fine. Baylor Shireman's probably one of the best players in the league right now. Mason Miller shoots 40% from three. Trey Alexander's automatic from mid range. That's how they win. You heard it. I'm going to be up opti- I'm going to be optimistic. I didn't get to watch all of the Seton Hall game. I'm going to say that Creighton is going to be okay. Cause we need it. All right. That wraps up the first 10 teams. Stick around after this short break to hear our team of the week. The Big East Barroom, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout for $20 off your first purchase. Get all of your seats for 2024 through SeatGeek using our code. All right, right. 10 teams down, one to go. Your UConn Huskies won two games this week. I was in attendance for both of them. You were in attendance for one of them. They beat Creighton 62-48 at Gamble Pavilion. And then they beat Nova 66-65 at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. The train keeps going for the number one team in the country. And this was arguably their best performances of the season. Not necessarily the Villanova game, but I don't know if they've had a better performance in that Creighton game. Especially defensively where... 
I had sounded, you know, some concerns about their defense. They were as good def- defensively in that game, even when Donovan Klingon wasn't on the floor. Because everybody's telling me, oh, you know, just wait till Donovan Klingon comes back. No, you need to be good even when Donovan Klingon is not on the floor. You can't use that as an excuse. And they were damn good in that game against Creighton. I don't know if you could have played a better defensive game. I don't know if they made a single mistake. Bumping everybody off their spots. Um, continuously hands in the passing lane. Stefan Castle as a perimeter defender is an absolute nightmare. A 6'6 freshman who is built like a grown-ass man. Um, there are no freshman mistakes on defensively from him. I, I think that this UConn team has shown that they are clearly the number one team in the country, in my opinion. I've watched a lot of Purdue because I have I have love for Zach Eady as opposed to most of the country that does not. I think that um, they can beat you in such a variety of ways. Tristan Newton, we've had this whole conversation about how there's a best player on the court every single, you know, night. You can argue that Stefan Castle, in my opinion, was probably was the best player on the court against um, Freighton. Tristan Newton, in my opinion, was the best player on the court against Villanova. And you think Donovan Klingon was the best player on the court against Villanova. So it's just that's how regardless, that's how good they are, that it's nobody. It's not a one man show ever. And that really I think it that's kind of what they had going last year. When they struggled, it was because they kept trying to dump the ball in the paint to Sonogo. And when they started succeeding again, it's because Sonogo was just part of the offense and Hawkins and Jackson and Caravan um, and Newton were really going. Yeah, I think that's what Dan Hurley does better than almost any coach I've seen, which is encouraging people. And this is actually a Marquette phrase, but stars in their roles, Um, you know, find ways to impact the game in your role, you know, playing to your strengths and doing what you're good at and don't do a bunch of things that are not, you know, part of your game and part of your strengths. Um, and he does a great job identifying what uh, a player's strengths are going to be and, and allowing them to develop those things and giving them run. You know, you saw it with Andre Jackson becoming a defensive impactor all over the court. You saw it with Jordan Hawkins being one of the best shooters in the country and now being one of the best shooters in the G League for whatever reason. Um, and Playing the NBA again. And you saw it with Adama Sonogo being one of the best, you know, back-to-the-basket players in, in, in the country. And I think I, you're doing it again this year. Yeah. I think his what you're saying is, like, I think his ability to empower people, like, to do that stuff. Like, it would have been really easy after Hassan Diara shot 21% from three last year to tell him never to shoot a three again. That's not your role. Said he said, work on it. Do it. This can be you. And Hassan Diara might be the best six man in the country. He's my six man of the year at this point, but but I, I I agree with what you're saying. But what he's doing, he not he doesn't want everybody to be the same player. No, he's not trying to he's not trying to force everybody into you know everybody be this. He's he's identifying okay, this is how you can affect the game, and this is how you can affect the game. Uh, he's identifying the perfect role for him, and then giving the opportunity to grow into it. But he's also ensuring that if you make mistakes, you're not going to see the bench for the rest of the game or whatever. You know, he's – and I like that. You know, that's Andre Jackson last year when he was missing every three under – you know, he didn't just bench him and say – he said, we got to figure this out with you on the court. I think that ability to empower the players. Um, Donovan Klingon grades out in a lot of metrics as the most impactful player in the country. Do you want to speak on that? Because you were um, talking to a senator this week about that. Yes, I was quote tweeted by Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, which was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I don't usually talk about who I'm quote tweeted by, but that one kind of got me. Um, I mean, he's he's massive. He's in the right place. And Dan Hurley knows exactly how to use him. You know, he uses him in drop coverage. He tells him stay in the paint. And he gives Klingon the opportunity and the freedom to go help wherever he's needed. And Unless you're specifically watching for this, you you don't notice the number of shots that aren't taken because of Donovan Klingon. Because why why would you, right? There's a million things going on in a basketball game. But when he's in the game, sometimes just watch how many shots are not taken. How many times people pull up early or how many times, you know, they just they get in the paint, but they don't want to pull the trigger. That's Donovan Klingon's impact, and that's what the metrics pick up on. I think he's also done a better job this year of not fouling. I know he hasn't played a ton but he, it doesn't seem like he's been in a ton of foul trouble, um, which is good because Samson Johnson does not adhere to those principles of not fouling. Um, Samson Johnson likes to foul. Right, if we had one more year of Donovan Klingon, I think we're talking about his offensive game takes that next step up. Um, I don't think we're going to get it, but his he is, I think, the best player in the conference defensively. 
Yeah, I mean, he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year because of the time he missed. Also, Devin Carter has put together a really nice resume, and, and I still kind of like him. But Ryan Cockburner's coming on really strongly. I don't, we've seen flashes of Donovan Klingon being the best defensive player, but, you know, he doesn't play 37 minutes like some of the other guys. No, absolutely not. And they, I, UConn doesn't want him to. That foot is more important to keep healthy than to um, win a bunch of games in December, in January and February. Yeah, next year he'll be dunking the ball off of, you know, Jamal Murray's lobs to him, uh, rolling to the basket. So he doesn't need to worry about this. Andre Jackson to Donovan Klingon, Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis cheering on the sideline. Damian Lillard to Donovan Klingon dunk. God, can you Dame Giannis Andre and uh, Donovan Klingon? Must the Bucks won't. Bucks won't have a high enough pick to take Donovan Klingon. So. I'm hearing about 15, 16. I don't know who's in that range right now. Yeah, I saw the most recent one had Castle twenty one and Klingon twenty two is one of the ones I saw, uh, which would be interesting because Donovan Klingon would be one of those players who could one hundred percent increase his potential and earnings and he's doing very well on the nil deal at uconn i don't know if you saw his newest truck commercial (laughs) i did actually and i loved it and that's exactly what the nil was supposed to be and i'm really happy that he's getting that recognition from the state of connecticut which is our home state and he deserves it he's a hometown guy stayed home stayed at his local public school in honor of his mother i mean like just a good fucking kid and uh, a Connecticut native. So I'm happy to see that. Absolutely. Well, right. That's 11 teams. That's 11 big East storylines to follow. It's uh, rare. We have so much to talk about with some of these teams that are towards the bottom of the conference. Yeah. We got to go see the uh, incoming recruits more often so we can talk about it. Yeah. And um, we should always delay recording a day. So if there is a coach firing, we will um, somehow be on top of it because that worked out. Not that we're wishing ill on Stubblefield, but it worked out well for us that we were able to record and give our rapid reaction to that. How crazy is it that the third longest tenure in the Big East is two and a half years? Yeah, it's it's like the best coached conference in the country, in my opinion. And then it's also like the newest coach country, newest coaches in the country. Um, but it's all faces, you know, that are doing it. I mean, if DePaul hits us out of the park, we could have a really... Bring Bobby Hurley in. I need to see Bobby Hurley coach against Danny Hurley twice a year. That would be too much for me. My heart couldn't take it. Anyhow, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, We have a lot of fun games coming up. That Georgetown-Providence game, you better believe we're going to be tuned in for. So uh, comment at us, whatever. If you have any questions, you just want to start talking. We'll probably be drunk, so we'll be having fun. Subscribe. Do whatever you can. Support us in any way you can because we see that and we're able to get some cool people on because of it. So thank you as always.